Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's amazing if your purpose is clear and even when your money is constrained, people can be very creative about solving the problem within that envelope. Hello and welcome to How to Lead a Sustainable Business. I'm Alana Weston, chairman of Selfridges Group, and I believe that sustainability will be the next big disruptor of my industry. It must be placed at the heart of business strategy if we're to overcome the climate crisis and transition to a cleaner and more just economy. Through this podcast, we'll learn what it takes to make change happen. We'll hear from the transformers and the innovators, those who've taken existing companies and redesigned their business models, and those who've started something new. This week, I'm joined by Sir Dave Lewis, Chair of the World Wildlife Forum UK, one of the world's leading conservation charities. He was previously the CEO of Tesco, and before that worked at Unilever for nearly 30 years. He was knighted this year for his services to the food industry and business, and currently also sits on the board of directors for PepsiCo. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Alana, thank you very much. Nice to be here. So tell me, how did you first become engaged in sustainability? And when did you begin to understand that it needed to be part of the way you led your business? I suppose in a word, Unilever. As you said in your introduction, I joined Unilever in 1987 and was fortunate to work for them around the world. And in the Indonesian business, very much more a food business, very close to the farming community. And I got to see how an important part business played in that community and Unilever in particular. And it really made me appreciate how, what a good contribution a responsible business can be when it thinks about the environment in which it operates. You know, you're considered to be a master of change. As we approach 2030, businesses across sectors will have to transform to become more sustainable. What in your view are the most important tools for change? My simple answer to your question would be action. We have to be prepared to do things differently. And I think that puts a great onus on a number of things. The first amongst them would be leadership. All the actors that have a role to play here in raising awareness need to take a clear leadership position. And then how do you then recruit people against that desire to change? And therein, I think you have to be clear about priorities and why they're so important. 
And in your experience more generally, what is the best way to gain followership? I think you've called it as opposed to leadership. What is the best way to win the hearts and minds of the people who work for you? You have to articulate a purpose in a way that people can relate to. So if I give you my Tesco example, when we were in a very difficult place in 2014, we did a lot of work on the question of why did this business exist? And with colleagues, we articulated a purpose, which was to serve Britain shoppers a little better every day. So we talked about if customers knew what we know as Tesco, what would they want us to do on their behalf? So when we took that purpose through the organization, in the UK, that's 320,000 people. 96% of people said, I understand it. I'm motivated by it. And I can see how I can play my role in doing something about it. And I think if you can get that connection, then you build followership and you amplify your impact, which is ultimately what we're all after Mm. in terms of the change we're trying to make. But do you think that this kind of transformation, when it's purpose-led, does it require a different approach to change? Because people buy and sell companies every day, they decide they're going to take out waste, they decide they're going to restructure or even develop a new business model. When we have so much at stake, is there a different kind of culture that's needed? The one thing I think is super important is be prepared to partner. Because actually, all of the things that we're trying to change that really matter, none of us can do on our own. It doesn't matter how big we are. We've got to be much more open to partner with suppliers, even competitors, working with government. Not all businesses grow up with that as a skill. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we talk about multi-stakeholder management, and it's sort of now good ESG practice. But I'm also fascinated by how it changes the culture of the business in other ways. So, so that you actually are faced with an issue and suddenly you have the muscle memory to say, actually, did we ask our team what they thought about that? Or has anybody told the suppliers that we're planning to change this and, and what do they think? And you develop much more of a listening culture and a much more transparent sharing culture, which I think hopefully will benefit not only those businesses that are purpose-led naturally, but it makes you a more well-rounded business anyway. I would completely agree. If I, if I relate what you just said to, say, the Tesco experience, even though we were loss-making, we recruit more colleagues to serve people in store because that's the most important thing. And so people see you doing things that are consistent with your purpose and your values But then they realize that you are serious and you do mean it. And the real thing that I saw, which is probably, if I'm honest, the most humbling thing I've seen in my career to date, was in the pandemic, I saw Tesco colleagues immediately do things to serve customers in the pandemic that were outside of what we would normally do. Mm. That's what colleagues felt was the right thing to do. And they knew that we would back them even though there wasn't time to do the usual authority levels given the situation. And also, you know, I think it attracts the best people. I mean, have you seen it as an engagement tool both outside the business, i.e. in attracting talent, as well as fully engaging the people who already are there? Absolutely. The till rings in a Tesco store in the UK 45 million times a week, right? 
85% of households go there on a two-weekly basis. You touch just about everything. So this idea that your expertise could come and work in a team in Tesco, make a change, and then see it amplified over that reach and scale, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Talk to me a little bit about waste, because um, one of the things I say is, you know, where there's waste, there's margin. Because people always say sustainability is expensive and we have to choose between being sustainable and being more profitable. And I just don't see it like that. Can you explain how the conversation went at Tesco or, or how you think about waste? I can. Okay. But you must stop me because I could get quite excited about some of this. All right. So. <laughs> When you run a food retailer, nobody wants waste. So we start from a place where you don't want it, but you also have to be practical that it's never going to be none. Mm. And so the question was, what do you do with that? Now, what Tesco did was say, yes, we'll minimize, but we will then redistribute food, which we can no longer sell, but is still mm. safe to be eaten. And so again, with partners, we set up 7,000 charities around the country that we donate food for. So whilst it's not a revenue stream, it's never wasted. And, and that changed the whole model, which led to being asked to chair something called Champions 12.3, a group set up to champion the delivery of Sustainable Development Goal 12.3, which was to halve food loss and waste globally. A third of the food that we grow every year is lost or wasted, whilst, you know, one in nine still go to bed hungry. I always used to say when I did um, the 12.3, there's a moral, ethical and environmental reason to get rid of waste. Mm. And everybody would come back to me and say, yeah, but it costs money. Across five different countries, we found every dollar that was invested in reducing waste had a $14 payback. Wow. Tell me a little bit about how you came to work with WWF when you were at Tesco. We found our partnerships from the Zoological Society to the Woodland Trust to WWF at Selfridges to be really, really powerful because they gave us the scientific understanding of our business model, as well as a way of talking about nature that we could then translate into something that our customers were interested in. And I just wondered how important was that partnership when you were in your business, when you were in Tesco? Tremendously important. The first year of that partnership was, how the hell do we measure the environmental impact of the basket? The whole idea was, let's measure what the environmental impact is of the average basket in the UK. When we do that, we'll set a plan which reduces it by half inside five years. We needed the WWF science and capability. And it didn't take a year. In the end, it took 16 months to get to a measure of the basket, which is, let's be honest, it's probably 90% right. Mm. But it's a lot better than having nothing. Again, because some sustainability initiatives, particularly in buildings, are capital intensive. But yet, when you look at the legislation that's coming, and when you look at the price on carbon, those should pay back as quickly as some of the other initiatives that are more operational. Could you give an example of where you had to really bite the bullet on a CapEx decision and it worked? Probably the most significant would have been in the energy strategy for Tesco. Tesco is in the UK, the largest private generator of electricity. 
We tested everything in Thailand. We brought it to the UK. The Tesco commitment on emissions reduction and the amount of money that was put in, be it capex or contractual, in order to drive down the emissions of the retail operation were in quantum probably the largest amount of money that we spent in my time at Tesco. And did they pay back in more mm. than just carbon? Because we were in a very difficult financial stage, I put mm. a, a criteria into the retail business that all CapEx had to pay back within two years. Right. Buildings could be three. So actually, the fact was we managed to learn enough to be able to break it up in a way that we were getting two and three year paybacks for yeah. the initiatives. And again, it's amazing. If your purpose is clear, yeah. and even when your money is constrained, yeah. people can be very creative about solving the problem yeah. within that envelope. I think it's absolutely true. It's, as soon as people have an envelope, I actually think the creativity comes out more. And, and we certainly saw that during the pandemic where yes. suddenly it was, okay, you all work for the digital channel. <laughs> See what you can do. Let's talk a little bit about customer. We all think of ourselves retailers as customer focused, but how do you think the customer has changed more recently with regard to environmental issues? I'm a very firm believer that the best way of engaging businesses, the best ways actually of engaging governments is when citizens, customers, consumers start to demand a different level of service, choice, standards, or behavior, right? You know, I can remember doing research in the 90s. Customers would tell you when you were asking them the question that the environment was important. But then when we track their actual behavior, actually, it wasn't making any difference at all in terms of. Now, the good news is we see that changing. I think customers, particularly young, are much more receptive, but they're still a fraction of the whole population. We have to make things easy and affordable. Mm -hmm. If the environment costs more, yes, some people can afford it, but not everybody can afford it. I mean, it's just such a no-brainer to me. It's, it's that idea of being a safe place to shop and taking a lot of the choices away from the customer because they feel that you've already done the work. We've launched sustainable edits at in each of our businesses. But what I hope is that before long, the entire edit will be sustainable. But it is a challenge because you've got to get all your suppliers on board with that. And you've got to unite around certain shared priorities. Can you tell us a bit about how you managed to engage your suppliers to coalesce around a set of priorities that you felt were key to your purpose? For the six years that I was at Tesco, every time we reviewed the performance of the business, we always reviewed it through the lens of four key stakeholders, customers, colleagues, suppliers, and shareholders. And in the supplier end, it was if customers knew what we both know, what would they want us to do on their behalf? Mm. Right. I'll give you two examples. We take more and more land each year globally to produce food, and then we waste a third of it. So when Tesco started issuing its food waste data, we invited our suppliers to do the same. 27 of the Tesco own brand suppliers published their food waste data from the off. 
And the following year, 10 of the largest branded players did the same. And so you suddenly got this community where people were all changing it. People wanted to be part of that. On packaging, slightly different. We'd had years and years and years of discussion about things we should change in packaging. And if we were really brutally honest with ourselves, not much had changed, right? We did the annual packaging audit so we could pay the levy, but we also looked at every material. Anything that's on the red list, we just don't want it in our business anymore. We give you 18 months progress, but actually after 18 months, if you feel you need that PVC material in that packaging for you, then I'm really sorry, as Tesco, we're not going to take it anymore. Mm. Right? We'll work with you to take it out, mm. but there comes a date where actually we just can't countenance it anymore. But tell me, what qualities do you think the leaders of the future will need to solve the problems that we're facing? You need world-class expertise, right? You can't be average at that. We need the people that have the science, the understanding, the capability. So leaders have to have expertise. But I think once you've got that expertise and you've got the right people in that team, I think from a leadership point of view, it's do you listen to the things which are actually not what you expected to hear? The slightly different voice in the room that says something that unlocks. Can you pick out those gems and nuggets that come from sometimes the most unlikely of sources, I think? Mm -hmm. So expertise, great ears and an empathetic heart. You've got to care. If you really, really, really want to change, it's got to mean something to you. This is time for our quick fire round. What's your definition of sustainability? For my children. That pretty much sums it up. What's most important, customer demand, legislation or innovation and why? I think customer demand drives everything. Businesses will respond to it. Government set frameworks. Innovation meets both of those two things. But first, second and third customer, customer, customer. Who will help us reach our climate goals fastest? The disruptors who bring us brand new products or the transformers who are changing the focus of existing businesses? Transformers. It's all about scale. There's some great innovation, but of the quantum of consumption of food, you've got to transform now, right? because otherwise you don't make a scale difference. And what three things are you hoping will come out of COP26? We need to move all of the markets from only having 70% of people committed to TCFD and one and a half degrees to 100%. I think we should put some pressure on businesses to actually explain why it is they wouldn't want to commit to that target and then share plans that get them there. I'd like to see some really hard commitments around the food system, around regenerative agriculture, I'd like to see and make sure that our trade policies actually improve environmental standards in the way that we put them together and we don't suddenly diminish them and put commerce ahead of keeping the standards high. And I hope it will also bring together and show that some of that partnering that I was talking about before can bring some unusual and creative solutions. Tell me, what are the three things that are essential to leading a sustainable business? Look, you can't get away from the fact it's the people. 
And then that sense of optimism that is so important when you're trying to change something or you're trying to innovate. And you need those people to have that little bit of extra energy that's required to drive change. Change is hard, right? It's really hard. It takes energy. Dave Lewis, thank you so much for coming on How to Lead a Sustainable Business. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do take a moment to subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This lets us know what you think and helps others to find the show. This episode was brought to you by Selfridges Group and Intelligence Squared. It was edited by Debbie Kilbride with technical assistance from Mark Roberts. The executive producer was Farah Jasset. I'm Alana Weston, and this is How to Lead a Sustainable Business.